0: Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Welcome Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Her- Street is on the phone. Yeah, is yeah. The, podcast of America. Oui. the Sports Podcast, presented yeah. by oh, the Sports. Sports. It listen. is Friday. September 1st, 2023, people, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Cannot believe it. We got college football to react to. I am, I'm over the moon. I'm excited. I'm fired up. Here's the today's show. You don't even need me to tell you. We're going to, we're going to do something we haven't done since January. We are going to react to college football. Week one is upon us. I guess we technically reacted to the week zero stuff, but week one is here. We're going to react to everything that happened on Thursday night. We're going to talk about Florida. Ooh, they are a mess. We're going to talk about Minnesota smacking around Nebraska. And we are going to talk about my Yukon Huskies, a little bit of a disappointing effort. And if you think spectrum's getting off the hook for the stunt that they pulled with ESPN on Thursday night, you got another thing coming to you. Then we're going to take a quick break and guess what we're going to do after that. We're going to preview Another four days of college football. That is right. We got games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And we're talking LSU, Florida State. We're talking Colorado, TCU. We're talking Clemson, Duke. On and on and on. Busy show. Fun show. There is no more time to waste. So let's get to it. And let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day. We had ourselves college football. On Thursday night there are three games that I'm going to react to and this is kind of one of those late night Torres reaction shows so I'm just going to spit a lot of stuff out this isn't super rehearsed super scripted I'm just going to react to everything that I saw in college football but let me start forgive me I'm going to go on about a two three minute side rant with Spectrum for those of you who have YouTube TV or Hulu TV or DirecTV or whatever TV you have, you have no idea what happened to the rest of us on Thursday night. That is because as I tuned in to Florida, Utah, I got the pregame with Chris Fowler at Kirk Street. I saw all the red at Rice-Eccles Stadium. And then at 8 p.m. Eastern on the dot, my ESPN screen went black. and I sat there and said, what is wrong? What is going on? So I go on social media, I go on Twitter, other people are dealing with it, and then I find out this, Spectrum and ESPN are beefing, and Spectrum either pulled ESPN or ESPN pulled itself off Spectrum at the moment that college football started on Thursday night. And let me just say this, Spectrum, screw you. ESPN screw you let me just rant for two minutes and we'll get to college football I promise but the bottom line is listen first of all there are no winners but the biggest loser in my opinion no doubt is Spectrum now as somebody who called Spectrum and yelled at Spectrum and screamed at Spectrum they're trying to pull the listen ESPN's playing hardball we're trying to take care of you the consumer the bottom line is I don't really care I, I, the only reason I pay for cable and yes, I'm one of those old school dinosaurs. I got gray hairs coming in. All I pay, the whole reason I pay for cable is so that I can watch sports in peace so that I can flip between channels so that I don't have to sign out of one app to go to another, to do this, to do that. So spectrum, let me just say this. I don't really care why this is happening. Don't blame Disney. Don't blame ESPN because here's the bottom line. I'm only paying for your service to get these stupid channels, okay? So forgive me for being so fired up, but the bottom line is I am in fact fired up and it cracks me up that Spectrum's thought is, hey, guess what? It's not our fault, it's Disney's fault. Well, I can tell you as a sports fan, the whole reason I pay hundreds of dollars for your crappy, uh, I don't pay for Bravo and Food Network and the CW. I pay to watch sports on ESPN, FS1, CBS Sports, whatever. So I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to rant, but this is a catastrophic L for Spectrum. I talked to multiple people on Thursday night who literally canceled Spectrum. I thought about it. They have until Sunday because if I can't watch LSU Florida State, it is over. Okay. And so it cracks me up because this is a classic scenario of a company that just does not understand the consumers. They think that they can throw out, oh, ESPN is trying to do this and Disney is trying to do that. We don't care. We just want to watch sports and we want to do it as conveniently as possible. You're already ripping us off by charging us hundreds of dollars. You think I care if I have to spend an extra dollar or two every month to watch it? I'm already paying hundreds of dollars for a bunch of stuff that I don't want. So let me pay an extra $4 for the stuff that I do want, which is ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network, ACC Network, ESPNU, et cetera. Spectrum, figure it out. I'm fired up. You think Florida fans are mad on this Thursday night? Think again. Torres is fired up. Spectrum fans are fired up. By the way, you know who was secretly fired up on Thursday night? Tennis fans. U.S. Open got upended. So, you know, the rant is over. But Spectrum, figure it out. All right. I did my rant. Now, let's get to the college football. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you have Spectrum, you know exactly where I'm coming from today. If you don't, I apologize for that four-minute rant. But let's get to the week one Thursday college football. And while we could easily start with the Nebraska-Minnesota, and by the way, again, this is a segment where I'm just going to go off the cuff. I'm just going to react in real time what happened, what I'm thinking, all that good stuff. Well, I could start with Nebraska-Minnesota. The place that I do want to start is lovely Salt Lake City, Utah. That is because despite the fact of Spectrum, knocking out my cable minutes before this game started. I found an illegal stream. I watched it and I got a lot of takeaways. As Utah takes care of business, frankly, in the way that I told you to, they win 24 to 11. Awful night for the Florida Gators. But again, this is what I told you it was going to be. Remember, before the game, everyone's freaking out. Cam Rising, the starting quarterback, is he going to play? And what did I say? It doesn't matter. Utah is going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. Utah is going to be able to beat Florida up. And that was exactly what happened on Thursday night in Salt Lake City. Listen, I want to talk about the Gators. But before I do, let's give credit to Utah and Kyle Whittingham. On the illegal stream that I watched this, uh, I thought Chris Fowler did a great job describing this game when it went final. He said this was a culture win for Utah. And I believe it very much was, okay? Because here's the thing you have to understand about Utah. It wasn't just that their starting quarterback, Cam Rising, was not available for this game. Think about this. They have a two-time All-Pac-12 tight end that also was not available. Their best defensive lineman, a first-team preseason all pack 12 guy, Junior Tafuna, was not available. Kareem Reed and all a preseason, all Pac 12 first team linebacker got knocked out in the first quarter. So, for Utah to win this game in the manner in which they did, credit to them, credit to Kyle Whittingham. It's about depth, it's about culture, it's about guys stepping up. Now, bluntly, I wasn't as worried about the backup quarterback situation as everybody else. As I told you on Wednesday's show, Bryson Barnes played in the Rose Bowl. And remember, With Cam rising out, he got all the snaps in the spring. He got all the snaps in fall camp, and I thought he would be ready to go. Thought it was a great game plan by Florida to get him reps as well as Nate Johnson, the backup who's kind of a dual threat guy. Nate Johnson finished the game with six carries, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Utah, really, I thought from start to finish was in control of this game. Still, as we often say on this show, what do we always say? The more interesting story is in the losing locker room and that is exactly the case in this game for the Florida Gators Florida after a six and seven season remember they went six and seven last year it was a complete disaster they got smoked in the bowl game by Oregon State we heard all off season that it was going to be different that this team was more cohesive Billy Napier I saw all these quotes about the systems are more in place and all this. I've seen Billy Napier say on many occasions that Graham Mertz, the starting quarterback from Wisconsin, who transferred from Wisconsin to Florida, it's going to be different here. Well, he looked very much the same. And unfortunately, the Gators looked very much the same to me. Bottom line, let me start by saying this. I don't think this is really Billy Napier's fault for the most part. Okay, I said it last year. I'll say it again. Billy Napier inherited a much bigger mess than a lot of people realize. Okay. Billy Napier inherited a disaster at Florida. I remember watching Florida last year, texting a buddy of mine who's a Gators fan. And I said, dude, is this the least talented Florida Gators roster of our lifetimes? Because I think it is. Florida alum, Florida graduate, Florida fan. He said it is, absolutely. Well, here's the problem. And this is where I do think you can blame Billy Napier. Is that while the the roster was a disaster when he took over, I don't think he did very much in the transfer portal. And I mentioned it on Wednesday's show. The Athletic ranked the top 100 transfers in college football. Florida had zero of them. And so if I'm going to blame anybody for this situation at Florida, I'm going to blame some of it on the previous regime because I think they left a mess. I think the culture stunk and I think the roster was not good. That was the criticism of Dan Mullen. That was why Dan Mullen got let go when he did. It wasn't just the win-loss record. It was that he didn't have the recruiting chops to clean it up. So that's on him. But also, this is on Billy Napier. They went into the offseason knowing they needed a quarterback. They went after a bunch of guys. They ended up with Graham Mertz. They knew they needed help along the offensive line. They didn't really do that much. Needed help on defense. Didn't really do that much. And this is what you saw on Thursday night. But here's the concern for Florida. Let me just ask you bluntly. What did Florida do well on Thursday? Because I can't think of much. Graham Mertz, 31 of 44. I guess that's okay. 33 or 333 yards. He did throw a crushing interception at the worst possible time. This is the part that's mortifying. Florida, I would argue their their best unit as a group is the running back room. They finished with 20. How about this? 13 carries for 21 yards, I take it back, 21 carries for 13 yards for Florida. So some of it's on Mertz, but a lot of it is on the offensive line. And I think Utah probably has one of the better defensive fronts that Florida will see all year. But how about that? 21 carries for 13 yards for Florida. It was a complete disaster. And then defensively, I just thought, you know, too many mistakes, too many this, too many that. Finished with nine penalties, 45 yards on that. And so I look at this game. I think this was a worst-case scenario for Florida. I really do because, to me, when you lose a game like this in week one, you want to take away some positives, right? I don't know what those positives are. One, Utah was beat up. This wasn't full-strength Utah, great crowd, great environment, all that. This was Utah with a backup quarterback with their two best defensive players not playing with their starting tight end, a two-time All-Pac-12 guy not playing either. Beyond that, what is the positive to take away? Graham Mertz did not look good. The O-line couldn't block. You couldn't get a running game going. You didn't really do all that much on defense. You had a bunch of penalties. What is the positive to take away from that? And then beyond that, let me say this. It ain't going to get any easier if you're the Florida Gators because this is their schedule going forward. They still have, not sure if you're familiar, the SEC East is getting good this year. It's going to be good this year. They have Georgia on a neutral field. Tennessee is a good team. Kentucky, I think, is really good. They have to go to Kroger Field where they lost the last time they went in 2021. They still have to play LSU in a cross-division game at LSU. Good luck with that one. They still have Arkansas. If you're an Arkansas fan, you got to be feeling really good. Arkansas is going to have the better quarterback in that game, K.J. Jefferson. They're going to have the better line play. They're going to have the better running back in that game with Rocket Sanders. Oh, by the way, they finished the season with Florida State, a team that I picked to make the college football playoff. And so I bring it up. I don't know what the positives are, but I go back to what I said all offseason. I go back to what I said on Wednesday. Everybody was freaking out. About, no cam rising. What does it mean? I said it doesn't matter. Florida is not good. No depth. No talent inherited by Billy Napier, and I think he's done a mediocre job of backfilling that roster. I know the 2024 recruiting class is really good, but at the same time, in the transfer portal era, there's no excuse. Brian Kelly brought in like 20 guys last year, flipped it in a year. Lincoln Riley brought in 20 plus guys, flipped it in a year. Hugh Freeze brought in like 20 plus guys this offseason, and I think they're going to be immediately improved. Billy Napier is going to be asked some tough questions after tonight. And he deserves to be asked some tough questions after tonight. Let's keep it going with two more games from Thursday night. The first one, Minnesota, Nebraska. By the way, all these games went sort of how I told you. I went three for three in the betting picks. No big deal. Whatever. I had Utah minus four and a half against Florida. I had the Minnesota, Nebraska under a 43 and a half. It wasn't even close. And I did have UConn plus 14 and a half against the NC State. As far as the Nebraska-Minnesota game, is there anything else to say other than I don't know what Nebraska fans did to deserve this? Nebraska, we all remember the Scott Frost era. What was it? They went three and nine one year. I believe all nine games they lost by a touchdown or less. That stat might not be exactly right. Maybe it was eight games by a touchdown or less. Maybe it was nine games by 10 points or less. I can't remember all the details at this point, but I saw a stat. Since the start of the 2021 season, they are now 2-14 in one-score games. And so why do I bring it up? It is because Thursday night in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota, it was the debut of the Matt Rule era. Things are going to be so different. Things are going to be so much better. And I think Matt Rule's the right guy for that job. I also think you can't teach new, an old dog new tricks. Nebraska has a lot of bad habits to break. I actually think Nebraska's a lot like Florida that we just discussed. Some of it's on Billy Napier, but some of it is on he inherited a mess. And I think it's a lot of the same with Nebraska as well. It doesn't change the fact that they were in complete position to win this game. If you watch the game, it was three to three midway through what the late third, early fourth. No, no, no. I think that back. it was three, nothing uh, early third quarter. What happens? Jeff Sims, the quarterback throws a reverse pass or a pitch, a reverse pass goes to the quarterback, Jeff Sims. He drops it, fumbles it, picks it up, throws for a touchdown. Nebraska goes up seven, three. I bring it up because that was the score until midway through the fourth quarter. And then we all know what happened from there. Nebraska driving. They were up seven to three. They were in complete control. They were up 10 to three. I think as a matter of fact, now I'm tripping. Now I'm all confused as to what happened when, but the bottom line was Nebraska they were up 10 to 3 that is correct I was right on that um they were up 10 to 3 they were in control of that game they score they got a field goal so the 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 Jeff Sims touchdown pass allowed them to go up 7 to 3 then they kick a field goal they're up 10 to 3 then all hell breaks loose from there Jeff uh, uh Jeff Sims they're driving they're in control they can essentially put away the game Jeff Sims fumbles the ball. Minnesota recovers. That was with about what? Two minutes left in the game? Are you kidding me? Minnesota goes the length of the field. They drive. They score a touchdown to tie things up. Then how about this? And I say this as a guy that had the under in this game. What ends up happening from there? Nebraska gets the ball back. Just run out the clock. Send it to overtime. See what happens from there. Jeff Sims throws an interception. Uh, Nebraska or, or excuse me, Minnesota ends up kicking a game winning field goal as time expired. So Nebraska up 10 to three, like that's kind of inconceivable against the Minnesota team that does not play tempo or anything like that. Nebraska was up 10 to three with the ball with under three minutes left and lost in regulation. That's almost impossible, yet it's almost Nebraska. Now, a couple thoughts here. One, And again, this is one of those reaction shows, forgive me, but from the Nebraska perspective, what I would say is one, I I just feel so bad. Um, I do feel bad. I do think part of it, listen, I never understood the Jeff Sims hype coming into this year. And we've, we talked about it on previous shows, but Jeff Sims was a guy and this isn't, you know, rain on the parade, but this was a guy that, that prior to this season, his best year at Georgia tech, 60% completion percentage, 12 touchdowns, seven interceptions, Last year, 58% completion percentage, five touchdowns, three interceptions. So I never understood the hype. And unfortunately, the worst possible game at the worst possible time for Jeff Sims. It is worth noting, by the way, he had three total interceptions last year, matched it on, on, on Thursday night. But at the same time, I just feel bad for Nebraska fans. For everything that we said, it's just one of those deals. It's like, man, no matter what happens, no matter what they do, They find ways to lose games. I truly do believe that Matt Rule is the right guy for the job. I truly do feel like he is going to eventually turn things around, eventually get things going again. Um, But I also thought that about Scott Frost. And so I'm just going in circles now, but I feel so bad for Nebraska fans. Great fan base, as we obviously saw with the 90,000 people that showed up to that volleyball match a few nights ago. They deserve so, so, so much better. Than what they got on Thursday night. Finally, I'd be remiss if I did not mention my UConn Huskies. Um, first of all, very happy to report Aaron Torres Media. We did send seven fans to the game. Um, a few days ago, I saw some you know, prominent alums kind of buying tickets for fans that couldn't afford to go. We were fortunate enough to send seven people. So I'm glad that we got some people there. Um, but I am a little bit you know, bummed about the effort as UConn ends up losing at home to the North Carolina State Wolfpack, the final score at Renshler Field, 24-14. to um, First of all, from the NC State perspective, credit to them. Brendan Armstrong, the transfer from Virginia, was excellent. Finished the game 17 of 20 passing. Um, he wasn't great, or 26 passing, excuse me. He wasn't great, but he was good enough. Where he killed UConn, though, was with his legs. 19 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns. UConn just seemingly did not have an answer. And it was seemingly one of those games where it felt like anytime Yukon UConn got half a second of momentum, things went the other way. Um, tough call in the first quarter, by the way, that led to an NC State score. There was a very clear third down that should have been fourth down. NC State was rewarded a first down, but a lot of it was self-inflicted by UConn The UConn scores a touchdown long Victor Rosa run. He gets a penalty on the a touchdown for excessive celebration. There's another penalty right after all of a sudden NC state is, is, is right in scoring range again. Um, and it just felt like one of those days where it just wasn't UConn's night couldn't get any momentum really going. Certainly in the past game, the rush game was good, but a little bit inconsistent And the defense kept making enough plays to keep them in the game. But there were also a lot of frustrating plays on the other side. From the NC State perspective, you know, credit where it's due. Road environment. UConn had close to a sellout, 40,000 people. They went in and got the win. And I give them credit for this too. NC State next week, they have their home opener at home, obviously, against Notre Dame. That is a huge game. This one was easy to look ahead So for them to go on the road, get a win, it's impressive. From the UConn perspective, it is so disappointing because the whole offseason was built towards this moment. Uh, There was a great effort by the fan base and by the administration to sell out Wrenchler Field on Thursday night. As I record, I don't know if they officially got there, but it was probably pretty close. But it's disappointing because all offseason, there's been so much excitement coming off a bowl, uh, bowl game last year, and it just wasn't a very good effort. The thing I give UConn credit for, Jim Mora went to the podium tonight and he owned it. He said we expected to win this game. This was a game that we thought we 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 thought we 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 should win, and we're disappointed. We're going to come back. We're going to be better. And I guess from the UConn perspective, I don't want to be that fan, but I do think it's worth noting. Like you got to give. I don't want to say you want to give UConn credit. But this was a program that two years ago went one and eleven and was the worst team in major college in Division One FBS college football. To fast forward and to be disappointed with only a ten point home loss to NC State. Again, I'm not saying there's moral victories in major college football, but you go back to UConn a few years ago. I mean, it was really bleak and really bad that 2021 season post COVID. Um, it was very bad for UConn. This was a team that lost by 45 to Fresno State to open the season, 49 to Purdue, 21 to uh or 31, excuse me, to Army. They lost by 14 to UMass, which was not a very good team, 29 to Middle Tennessee State, 32 to Central Florida. And so for UConn fans, it's disappointing. I feel bad because there was so much momentum, but at the same time. The fact that you're disappointed with a 10-point loss at home to an ACC school. And by the way, NC State's good. They'll probably win eight, nine games this year. It shows how far the program's come. Doesn't mean you have to accept losing. Now, from the UConn perspective, you got to go out, take care of business next week against Georgia State. All right. I think that's it. Long extended segment. Sorry for the rant on Spectrum, but I had to do it. Uh, But this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to uh, preview the rest of week one we're going to talk a little lsu florida state we are going to talk a little bit of colorado tcu and the rest of the week one games quick break be right back all right we're gonna get back to the show in a minute but before we do i want to welcome back our presenting sponsor betfred sportsbook and the betfred sportsbook app by now You know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the U.K., over a 1,000 shops in the U.K., and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred bettors have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred, and here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet $50 on anything you want to bet on you automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with, and I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. All right, everybody! Hi, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. So we obviously just looked at everything that happened in college football on Thursday night. Now it's time to look ahead to what we expect to happen in the coming days because we have four more days of college football this weekend. That is right. We have arrived at Labor Day weekend. Let me me start by saying this. We all talk, we talk about the great stretches of sports in college, it, 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 great stretches of sports across calendar year, whether it's the the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, uh, opening that opening Thursday of the NFL. I'd argue this five-day stretch for week one in college football, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, with Monday as well, by the way, as good as any start to a season in college, in sports. And oh, by the way, I know we technically started last week with week zero, but forgive me. We're talking about week one, everybody playing. And so what I want to do now is switch gears, get into some of the games. And I should mention, by the way, College Football Betting Podcast, obviously, um, you know, extended updates, extended previews, extended game previews. So make sure to find that on Apple, Spotify, also a separate YouTube channel for that as well. But let's jump right into it. Let's get to the week one games and obviously the big one. The one that we absolutely have to talk about. Probably going to go a little long on this, as Torres sometimes tends to do. But it is the top 10 matchup Sunday night. Plan accordingly. Your wife wants to go out. Your husband wants to go out. Your kids want to go out. No, 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 no. You go out by yourself. Honey, I got Brian Kelly. I got Mike Norvell. I got a top 10 matchup on Sunday night. This should be a great one. I'm so excited. And I think, you know, I don't know that anybody else besides me has really put this out there what's so interesting to me about this game is that as we move to a 12 team playoff era this is really the last year where like a bad week one can derail your whole season okay so you go you you look at these two teams florida state by the end of this month september they have to go to clemson in week 4 they lose this game their entire season could be over by the end of september lsu it's not much different a bunch of early road games alabama later in the year so there is so much at stake so much to talk about, so much to discuss. But let me be blunt, and I did the extended update. I I, I, Let me not even beat around the bush, because we got a lot of games to cover. I actually like Florida State to win this game, and I'm not even sure it's going to be close. Now, to be clear, before we get into it, this isn't an anti-LSU thing, and it's not an anti-Brian Kelly thing, okay? Everybody knows I'm a Brian Kelly guy. I've been around. I've been on Team Brian Kelly since the Cincinnati days. But when I look at this game, a couple things stand out to me. And the most important thing is that, in my opinion, all of Florida State's strengths go directly against LSU's weaknesses, while all of LSU's strengths go against Florida State's strengths. And so I hope that makes sense. It reminds me of, in boxing, we sometimes say styles make fights, and the style to me favors Florida State. Now, we'll see what happens. I could look like an idiot. Come Monday, this could be where Aaron was wrong next Friday. But let me explain why. First of all, when it comes to LSU, a couple things stand out. LSU, most people seem to agree their weakness specifically is the secondary. This is a team that brought in a bunch of transfers in the defensive backfield last year. And what happens when you bring in older players? They graduate. They had to go back in the portal this year. Now, they've had some success, and there are some guys they're raving about. Andre Sam, who came from Tulane. Um, uh, Zai Alexander, who came from, uh, I believe, Southeast Louisiana. They did bring in Denver Harris from Texas A&M. He's kind of been in and out all, 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 all fall long. But I bring it up because this is considered a weakness. Why does that matter? It is because I would argue that Florida State has the biggest, most physical wide receiver room in college football, okay? So, Their leading returning receiver is a kid named Johnny Wilson. They brought in Keon Coleman, who was the leading receiver at at Michigan State last year. They brought in a five star named Hakeem Williams. What do all those guys have in common? They're monsters and not just a a statistical monster, but a physical monster. Johnny Wilson stands six foot seven, Keon Coleman, six foot four, Hakeem Williams, six foot three. So, by the way, Florida State. Leonard Hamilton, you need some backups for your basketball team? Go to the Florida State wide receiver room. But against a young and inexperienced LSU secondary, I think that can cause fits. Beyond that, Florida State, as much as I just talked about the the wide receiver room, they actually have one of the best run games in college football. Last year, they led the ACC in rushing. They bring back basically their entire offensive line, and they added one of the best offensive linemen in the portal, In a tackle named Jeremiah Byers. Why is that important? It is because LSU, and I know we think of LSU as big and physical and mean and nasty. That run defense wasn't very good last year. Now, they have talent up front. Harold Perkins is the freak of all freaks, linebacker for LSU. Um, uh, You know, Makai Wingo. But one, Mason Smith, one of their stars, is ineligible to play this game. The NCAA suspended him. It's dumb. I will readily admit it. But then, two on top of that, this run defense was not very good last year, and they really wore down late in the season. A year ago, LSU ranked just 64th nationally in rush defense. That's not going to get it done, especially, by the way, they were especially bad late in the year. Gave up 274 yards on the ground to AM, 255 yards on the ground to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Now, you get bullied by Georgia, it's one thing, but you get bullied by AM, it's quite another, and that's a concern to me. From the LSU offensive perspective, let me say this. Love Jaden Daniels. Great story last year. 67% completion percentage for Jaden Daniels, 17 touchdowns for him, 11 rushing touchdowns as well. And what I would add, their strength is probably in the wide receiver room as well. Malik Neighbors is a stud. Kyron Lacy is a stud. Mason Taylor is the kid who caught the game-winning touchdown score against Bama last year. Where is my concern, though? They're going up against one of the best secondaries in all of college football, and that's not hyperbole. Florida State last year ranked fourth nationally in pass defense. Fourth nationally. They bring back an all-American caliber safety in Akeem Dent. They added a transfer cornerback named Fentrell Cypress, who was an uh, uh, All-ACC first team at Virginia at, at University of Virginia last year. And so I bring it up because again, LSU strengths are going on Florida State strengths, and Florida State's strengths are going on LSU's weaknesses. So I could go on, I could go on, I could go on, but Florida State is a two and a half point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook and I'll be blunt, or LSU, excuse me, is a two-point favorite, two-and-a-half-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. I like Florida State to win this game straight up, and here is my bold take of the weekend. I don't even think it's close. Not because LSU's terrible, not because Brian Kelly's overrated, not because they're the worst thing that ever happened. I just think that this particular game and these particular matchups, styles make fights, all of this, the style, style, stylistic uh, advantages go to Florida State, I have Florida State winning this game 35 to 21. Let's keep it going. Let's kind of go backwards to Saturday because there's obviously a bunch of games on Saturday. And there is one game that we absolutely got to talk about, and that is the Colorado TCU game. You know, it's a big game, and you know, there's plenty of narratives. When we have the reigning national runners up in TCU, And they're the undercard in this game because, of course, this is the debut of Colorado and Coach Prime at Colorado. I'm, of course, talking about Deion Sanders. Now, the point spread seems to indicate it's going to be a blowout. TCU is a 20-and-a-half point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. The over-under, I think, is about 63-and-a-half. Let's see if I got that right. Uh, 63-and-a-half. I'm a smart guy. Or I just looked it up before I started the segment, did my homework. Either way, a couple things stand out. First off, let me say this about Colorado one enough with the negativity about coach prime okay every oh everyone's got an opinion on what he did and how many players in the portal and this and that well two things stand out one do you have any idea how bad colorado was last year you understand colorado colorado was in the bottom five nationally in scoring on offense and scoring defense meaning they, gave, they, they were bottom five in terms of points scored and points allowed, which led to a lot of blowouts. And as a matter of fact, before I started this segment, I looked it up just to explain how bad this team was last year. They lost by, here are some of the final scores that they lost by. They lost by 31 points to Air Force. They lost by 42 points to Minnesota, 23 points to Arizona, 33 points to Oregon State, 39 points to Oregon, 33 points to USC. They lost by 47 to Washington and 42 to Utah. So Coach Prime comes in and he has to clean that place up. And he did. And I think he did bring in a lot of talent. Now, is it enough to forget about a play? Can they compete for a Pac-12 title? No. Are they even Oregon or Utah as opposed to Georgia and Alabama? Of course not. They're nowhere close. But let's not pretend like there's no talent at all. First off, Shador Sanders is a baller, okay? Okay. Shador Sanders, people don't realize he was a four-star coming out of high school. He had an offer from Alabama coming out of high school before he went to play for his father at Jackson state last year. And I know it was a level down, but he completed 70% of his passes, 40 touchdowns, six interceptions. I don't care if it's the FCS, the FBS, high school, junior college, whatever you complete 70% of your passes, 40 touchdowns. You know how to play the quarterback position beyond that looking ahead to looking to, at some of the other guys they brought in skill position guys xavier weaver jimmy horn top two wide receivers at south florida both electric they also added through the the not only the portal but high school ranks remember dion did pretty well in the high school ranks as well dylan edwards was a four-star who was committed to notre dame flips to colorado Omarion Miller. Was committed to Nebraska, a four-star flips to Colorado. Adam Hopkins, four-star wide receiver, commits to Colorado. Now, again, if this was Georgia, they they would be backups and whatever. But the point is, it's not as though they can't play. And so this group is going up against a TCU team that I think is one of the more overrated teams coming into the year. First of all, TCU. Let me start by saying this: it was in it two. What do I always say? What does Torres always say? Two things in life can be true, right? I think that's certainly the case for TCU. What happened last year was incredible. It was awesome. We all enjoyed it. And they were deserving of being not only in the college football playoff, but playing Georgia for a national championship, even if it didn't go well. At the same time, I don't want to say they got lucky along the way, but there were a lot of, you know, improbable comebacks to get them to that point. They trailed 27 to 13 midway through the third quarter against Oklahoma State one. They trailed 28 to 17 at halftime against Kansas State. The first time they played, they won. They trailed by three going into the fourth quarter against Texas Tech and won. They trailed, they they needed a walk-off field goal to beat Baylor at Baylor. So it's, by the way, they needed two pick sixes to beat Michigan in the college football playoff. So it's not to say that they're lucky. What it is to say is that a lot of things went their way. I don't know that they're going to, especially because of a few things. They lost a lot of talent off last year's roster. Max Duggan was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He was the Heisman Trophy runner-up to the eventual winner, Caleb Williams. Kendra Miller, their leading rusher, is gone. Quinton Johnson, first-round pick at wide receiver, is gone. And this is off of a team that was very good on offense, but they weren't very good on defense. 89th nationally in scoring defense, 94th nationally in total defense. And so when I look at this team, just, just say it out loud. Just say it out loud, I know Colorado was bad. But TCU lost a Heisman trophy finalist at quarterback. Their leading rusher, a first-rounder wide receiver, their best player. Now they're coming back and they had that was off the offense. The defense wasn't even very good last year, 89th in scoring, 94th nationally in total defense. And so when I look at this game, I'm not sitting here and saying that I think Colorado is going to win outright. But do I think that Colorado can keep things close and cover the spread? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you go back to a podcast that I did in the summertime. When the week one lines came out, I said Colorado at plus 20 and a half was my best bet and nothing has changed. Bottom line, I trust the talent that Coach Prime has brought in. Not saying they're going to win a national championship, but can Shador Sanders and this group move the ball on this TCU defense, which ranked 89th nationally in scoring, 94th nationally in total defense? I absolutely believe they can. I think this is fun. I think it's a shootout. I think it's close. Even if TCU wins, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 42 to 32. And I do think Colorado covers. I've said it since May or June. This is my week one best bet couple other games that I do think are at least worth mentioning here uh, before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. One, Saturday night, I'll say this. I think it's a fascinating matchup between North Carolina and South Carolina in Charlotte neutral site game. This is a 7.30 Eastern kickoff, ABC national window. From the North Carolina perspective, we all know that it's about Drake May, right? Drake May this, Drake May that. I think most of you probably know, but he's projected as the number two overall pick in next year's draft behind Caleb Williams, elite talent at the quarterback position. But what's interesting about North Carolina, there's a lot of change around Drake May. One, we still don't know about his best wide receiver. I believe the kid's name is Tez Johnson. Is that right? Is that right, Tez Johnson? He's Tez Walker, excuse me. He's one of those two-time transfer guys, and he is one of those guys that is petitioning the NCA to get eligible right away. As of right now, as I record, things might change. But as of right now, Tez Walker has not been cleared to play for this game. Now you can debate, is it right? You can debate, is it wrong? You know, my stance is I feel bad for the kid, but at the, at some point the NCA does have to crack down on two-time transfers. And so you're talking about North Carolina going into a game where they might not have their best wide receiver beyond that north carolina also lost the offensive coordinator that pulled the sp- the strings behind the scenes last year for drake may phil longo who is now at wisconsin phil longo followed luke fickle he is gone he was the guy that put together this offense and the one thing you can say about carolina since mac brown got there whether sam howell was the quarterback whether uh, drake may was the quarterback they have been able to put up points. So I like Drake May, but new offensive coordinator, best wide receiver might not be able to play. And oh, by the way, credit South Carolina. That secondary was really good last year, led the SEC in fourteen intercep- with 14 interceptions. Now, from the South Carolina perspective, let me just say, I've been very critical of Shane Beamer. I think he's a little bit overrated. I do think sometimes he does stuff on social media that everybody likes, and so people want to like him. What credit to him and credit to Spencer Rattler for how things finished last year. As a team, we know how things ended for for South Carolina a year ago. Knock off Tennessee in the second to last weekend, knock them out of the playoff picture, then beat Clemson to knock them out of the uh, college football playoff picture as well. And it really was because of Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, if you just look at the stats, was not good last year. 18 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Here's the crazy part, though. His last three games, his last three games, Spencer Rattler threw 13 touchdowns and three interceptions, and so basically, as Spencer Rattler went up, 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 so did South Carolina. So South Carolina got hot late in the year. They bring back a lot. Spencer Rattler's back. His leading receiver, Juice Wells, is back. Remember, they have the five-star uh, athlete Nicholas Harbor, who I think we'll see all over the field over the course of uh, over the course of this game. And I'll be blunt. North Carolina is the two and a half point favorite in this game. I think the wrong team is favored. I really, truly think the wrong team is favored because as great as Drake May is as a prospect, I know North Carolina won nine games last year, but this might be the best secondary he faces until they play Clemson later in the year. And then on top of that, South Carolina got hot late last year. This North Carolina defense was not good. Remember, Gene Chiswick is the second-year defensive coordinator there. Remember Gene Chiswick won a national title at Auburn? Well, Gene Chiswick is the defensive coordinator there. Um, 115th nationally in, in total defense last year. 115th nationally in pass defense as well. So Spencer Rattler should have a field day. Drake May could have some difficulties. I actually like South Carolina to win this game. A couple other ones really quick. You know, the last one that I really want to talk about kind of at length. It's actually the Monday night game clemson is visiting duke and i know on paper that doesn't sound like much remember duke won nine games last year here's the crazy part too duke not only won nine games duke also lost three games by a field goal meaning duke could have been a 10 or 11 win team last season duke football mike elko did an unbelievable job with that group well now they're facing clemson clemson by the way second straight uh, year they play on the Monday of of Labor Day weekend. Shout out Dabo Sweeney. I don't know if this is an ESPN thing. I don't know if Dabo has to sign off on it. I love that we get Clemson in this standalone window. I think it's great for college football. And I think it's great for Clemson because over the course of a year, like, like, like if Duke was playing Clemson at 3.30 on a Saturday in week six, would you be able to watch it? Or would you have the TV on Texas, Georgia, or... Uh, or Texas, Georgia, Tennessee, Georgia, or uh, Ole Miss, Alabama. You'd be watching those games, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, whoever. So it's great that we get to see Clemson in this spot. But I'll also say, this is going to be a spotlight game for Clemson because remember, this is a team. We need to see it from the offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, and of course, the quarterback, Cade Klubnik. For people who don't remember, Garrett Riley, the younger brother of Lincoln Riley, is now the offensive coordinator at Clemson. Uh, He came from TCU. He was the maestro of that offense last year. Well, he was brought in to get the most out of this offense that has struggled for the last two years. Now, I think part of it was probably DJ Uyla I wish him well. He's the starting quarterback at Oregon State. I'm not a fan. I'm not a believer. And so I just bring it up because we'll see if it was DJ, if it was the offensive coordinator, or if it was both. Good news is Cade Klubnik is back at quarterback. Remember, he was a five-star two cycles ago. And then finally, when the regular season was over, when Clemson lost to South Carolina and got knocked out of the playoff race, Dabo ripped off the Band-Aid, gave Cade Klubnik the start in the ACC championship game. He goes 20 of 24 passing with a touchdown. He was awesome in that game. Not so much in the, uh, the Orange Bowl, by the way, against Tennessee, but this is kind of go time for Clemson, right? This is go time for Clemson. Because they got to figure out. Was it the coordinator? Was it the quarterback? Was it both? We got to be good because they again have a team that is good enough to compete for a playoff berth, if not a national championship. Defense is elite. They have like four or five guys that could be drafted legitimately in the first round this year. Tyler Davis on the offensive line. uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Barrett Carter. You go on and on down the list. There's a cornerback who's really good, but the offense has to be better. The run game should be good with Will Shipley back. So. For Clemson, it all comes down to this weekend. What are you about? Are you ready? We need to see this offense. And we need to see it, you know, against a pretty good Duke team. Duke, by the way, last year, actually number two in the country in turnover margin. They forced a ton of turnovers. So it'll be fascinating to watch. I cannot wait to see this game. I don't really have a bet on this one. I would probably just bet the under of 50. I think Clemson wins like 31 to 10. Um that Clemson defense is really good, but the offense is going to be the story there. A couple more games. to note Penn state at home against West Virginia. Give me Penn state. They're a 20 point favorite. I don't care. You know, I love Penn state. You know what I think of West Virginia. I think Penn state rolls. And I think this is an important stage for Penn state Saturday night. This is that NBC window. This is the first ever college football big 10 on NBC game. It's a night game in happy Valley. West Virginia has not been very good. Penn State is unreal at home, especially defensively. They should roll. Uh, What else? Ohio State opens on the road at Indiana. That's the first Big Ten on CBS game. So make sure to be plugged in for that one. Um, And I think that's really kind of it. Tennessee Tennessee versus Virginia in Nashville. Listen, you don't need me to tell you. It's about Joe Milton. Who is Joe Milton? Is he the guy that was awesome in the Orange Bowl? Is he the guy that got benched uh, two years ago uh, when Henan Hooker emerged? Be interesting to see. I will tell you, I had three picks for the Thursday night games. Let me officially give you my official picks for the weekend. I do have Colorado plus 20 and a half against TCU. That has been my best bet. I have Penn State minus 20 against uh, uh, West Virginia. South Carolina over North Carolina on the money line, and Florida State over LSU on the money line as well. All right, it is time for me to get out of here. I was going to do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, but here's the bottom line. We had games from Thursday to react to, and we had a full four more days of college football to preview, and here's the good news for you guys and girls. I'm going to get a lot of stuff wrong here over the next four or five months, so we'll skip Aaron right, Aaron wrong for today and get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres sports podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon music, Google music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. If you could do that, that would be incredible. It would be greatly appreciated. Uh, leave a little rating, leave a little review, you know, five stars, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed on the YouTube channel, Aaron Torres podcast on YouTube. If you search it, you'll find it. And Oh, by the way, if you want extended previews of all these games, the College Football Betting Podcast, and the College Football Betting Podcast YouTube channel. I think that's it. Time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. And all I got to say is enjoy the college football to come. I'll be back on Tuesday, and we will have plenty to react to when I get back. Thank you, guys and girls, for your support. Welcome to September. It is good to be back. Shout out to Torque. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, you F-head unblock me bro oh by the way if you could help control the pet population have your pet spayed and neutered goodbye everybody i'll be back on my on tuesday